Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're starting a new series of Sunday mornings this morning, and we're calling this new series Walk This Way. Walk This Way. It's about following Jesus and living in his kingdom. And this series is a, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to a way of living that brings pleasure to God. Sounds good, doesn't it? It's not a way of living as a means of earning our salvation. It's not as a means of, um, of achieving anything in our own behaviour that God is going to say, well, then you're going to be okay. But it's the other way around to that. It's saying, God, we know you and we love you and therefore we want to hear what you have to say to us about how we should live. We're responding to him because of who he is and what we know he has done for us in our lives. It's because we know the relationship that he has drawn us into if we're trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. And you know, there are some big questions that face everybody. Everybody on planet Earth is faced with these questions. The first one is this, who am I? Deep and meaningful, eh? Who am I? And the second question is, and why am I here? And these are questions I can pretty much guarantee everyone in this room will have asked at one point or another. And the answer is that we're all here because we have been made by God. We spoke about this last year, created in the image of God. And we're here because we are made for God. We're people made by God and people made for God. And when the light of that revelation hits our souls, it raises other questions, doesn't it? What does it mean then to be living for God? If we're made for him, then how can we live for him? And that's really what our new series is all about. Walk this way. What does it mean to live as people who want to live out a life for God? How then are we to live? How can we know God? And how do we know what's important to God? How do we exist in these times? It's 2024. We're in Market Harbour. How do we exist in these times, in this location, with this set of worldly expectations around us? How do we do that? You know, after all, we know and believe, don't we? God has placed us here. He's ordained us to be here at this time, at this place, in this century, for specific purpose. It's no accident that any of us are here. But still, how are we to live? How are we to celebrate the amazing life that God has given to each one of us together, knowing our place in God's big story and having an eternal perspective? You know, sometimes as men and women and boys and girls, we can get so caught up in, oh, it's Sunday. What happens on Monday? Our eyes are on ourselves. We're panicking about the thing that's going to happen tomorrow. And yet, actually, here we are. We are a blink in the eye of God's big story. If we know Jesus, we have eternal life. It goes far beyond Monday. 
It lasts forever. And if we have eternal life, it's already begun. I, I received eternal life 40 years ago, last summer. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You must say, I was barely born. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I was 11 and three quarters. I was 11 and three quarters, and as a 11 and three quarter year old boy, understanding what I understood at the time about who Jesus was and what my response should be to him, I trusted that he could be my saviour. And in that moment, he gave me eternal life. Isn't that great? And if you've received Jesus as saviour, you have eternal life. Sure, it might get a bit messy when our natural lives come to an end, but our lives haven't end, aren't going to end because our lives go on and on in God. We believe this is his gift. Let's view our lives in that eternal perspective, not just in what's going to happen this week. And I just want to say this, as we think over the next few weeks what it means to, to walk this way, the last thing anyone wants here is my opinion, or Stephen's opinion, or Benji's opinion. You know, very, very often people will come to us and say, mm, what's your opinion on this spiritual matter? You don't want my, my opinion. What you want is the word of God. This book is full of wisdom. It's not worldly wisdom. There's too much of that. <laughs> this book is full of godly wisdom. And what we want to do over the next few weeks is look together at some godly wisdom. How are we to live? Well, this is where we look. You don't want my opinion. We want to know what God has to say about this. So let's start by looking at God's word together. I'm in Isaiah 26, verse 8 to start with. We're going to sort of use this verse to bounce out of a few times over the next few weeks. Isaiah 26 reveals the prophetic picture of the people of God responding to his salvation. In chapter 24 and 25, the prophet Isaiah is um, writing about God declaring his righteous judgment over darkness and his love and his goodness over his people. And in chapter 26, he declares how God's people respond to his salvation. And they respond in song and they say, Yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgments. Our desire, our desire is for your name and your renown. This is a God breathed picture. God inspired his prophet Isaiah to write it down. He's placed it in the Bible, and therefore this response must be what pleases him. You see, it's a corporate response. It's a, yes, Lord. It's a, amen. Lord, you're right. Yes, Lord. We will follow you and do what you say is right. Notice the, the we and the our in the language in this. Yes, Lord, we wait for you. Our desire is for your name and renown. It's a corporate response. We desire your name and renown. Renown is a funny old word we don't use very often these days. It means fame. 
We desire your name and your fame. Okay? His name and renown is of first importance. It's the name of a creator, a saviour, a comforter. It's a name of eternal consequence. It's the name of a father who loves his creation. It's a name that can bring life into the spiritually dead. Before I was 11 and three quarters, you wouldn't have known it to meet me. I was spiritually dead. I was separated from my father. But praise God, when I was 11 and three quarters, because when you're 11 to three quarters is really important. You know this, don't you? When I was 11 and three quarters, I was taken from a place of spiritual death and brought into the kingdom of spiritual life. Brilliant. Philippians 2 describes how God has exalted Jesus and given Jesus the name that is above every other name. It's the name above everything that is seen and everything that is unseen. And God reveals to us that the name of Jesus will go on forever. It's the name at which everyone will one day bow if we haven't already. How can we not want the name of our saviour to be famous in our family and among our work colleagues, in our communities, with our neighbours, wherever we find our day-to-day? There is nothing greater than the name and renown of our God. And you know, we might have some pretty big things coming up this year. Some important things coming up this year. Might have some important exams. We might be starting a career. We might be moving house. We might be having a baby. Got some babies due this year. It's going to be a great year. We might have some big business decisions or career moves coming up. Big life decisions to make. And these things in themselves are not unimportant. Just getting that in, parents, in case your children get home and say, my exams are no longer important. No, they're not unimportant, but they're not of primary importance. They're not of supreme importance. They're not important at all compared to living for the name and renown of Jesus. Our desire is your name and renown. So we can see from the word of God that God says that a desire for his name and renown pleases him. It's what he wants us to give our time and attention to. And therefore, it must be something that he wants to help us and encourages in. Our God is a caring and a compassionate father. He won't ask us to do something or encourage us to do something he then makes impossible. He will make a way. So what does it mean to desire his name and renown? How do we go about desiring the fame of Jesus? What does it mean for us to want to see his love and glory made known to all? What is it inside us that's happened that causes us to desire the name and fame of Jesus to be made known? So we can find this out 
by looking at the word. So Paul, writing his second letter to the Corinthians, describes what happens to people's hearts when they believe in Christ. I'm going to read this in just a second. A little bit of a backstory here, because there's something we should know to make some sense of what Paul is writing here. In the book of Exodus, we read, it's sort of chapters 33, 34, that Moses goes to meet God on Mount Sinai. And he goes up the mountain on his own and God speaks to him. And Moses spends 40 days up this mountain in the presence of God. And when Moses came down the mountain back to the people, the people said, Moses, what's going on with your face? Because Moses' face was shining. You can read this, Exodus 34. Moses' face was shining. And so it says that what Moses did is, when he went to speak to the people, he had to get a veil. And he would put it on his head. I know this won't be a good look, but there's not a camera in the room, so it's all right. Moses got a veil, and he covered his face in, in order that the people could see him, because the glory of the Lord terrified them. Moses covered his face. And this is what Paul is referring to in, um, in 2 Corinthians. So listen to this. I'm going to read, I'm going to start at the verse earlier, actually, uh, verse 13. Paul writes, We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. What a great thing. There are some important truths that Paul reveals to us here. So Paul is describing how it is, if we don't know God, then everything that we read about God in the Word, like we're just looking out for a veil, and I can't read that screen through this veil. Not really. I can kind of make out it's there, but it makes no sense to me at all. But when we come to know Jesus, that veil is taken away. And everything becomes clear and we can see it. So Paul is saying here three things. He's saying that one, we have the capacity to come face to face with God. The veil has been taken away. We are made by God, made for God and made to know God. Second thing he says is the veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Verse 14, verse 16, as we turn to the Lord. That's the moment at which things that were hidden become plain. The veil has been taken away. We can now see them as they are. 
It's because of Jesus that we have proximity to our Father. Proximity, nearness, closeness. We can come near to him. The veil is gone. We can see what he says to us and we can understand it by our spirits. And the third thing that Paul says is that when the veil is removed, we can see and reflect the glory of God. The removal of the veil means that there is now something about us that is notable because we can be reflecting God's glory in much the same way as Moses, when he met God all those years ago, literally reflected God's glory in his face, his shining face, because he had been close to God. Let me introduce you to the moon. There it is. I know, thank you. I didn't take that picture myself. I think that is from the NASA website, actually. But this is the moon. Got some interesting moon facts for you, okay? Okay, we're going to, this is educational in every way this morning. Did you know that the moon is 27% the size of the Earth? The Earth is about four times bigger than the moon. The moon is 239,000 miles away. Again, didn't measure it myself. The NASA website, very helpful in this respect. I, I like to go running. And um, I worked out that if I ran 10 kilometres every day of my life in the direction of the moon, assuming I could, <laughs> in 105 years, I would still not quite have got there. 10 kilometres every day for 105 years, you're still not at the moon. It's a long way away. It's the only place, though, that man, mankind has set foot that's not on the earth. There are 24 human beings who have been and set foot on the moon. And it's also not the place to go on your holidays. Because when it's cold, it's minus 232 degrees centigrade. That's cold, you're going to need your coat. And when it's warm and the sun is shining on it, can get it to 123 degrees centigrade. Okay? You're not going to survive very long. You'll at least need a hat and some sun cream. Okay? So the moon is not an environment that any of us could survive in. The Earth orbits the sun once a year. That's why we have a year. The moon orbits the Earth once a month. You're remembering this. I'm checking with my good friend Dr. White at the back because uh, he will know all this stuff inside out. And so the moon is going round the sun and also going round the earth at the same time, constantly. Here's the thing about the moon. The moon is essentially a big lump of rock, positioned where it's positioned. It has no energy of itself. It has no glory or light of itself. It literally rocks up in the right place and the glory of the sun shines upon it. Its proximity to the sunlight is what causes it to be seen from the earth. And it causes people to say, next slide, Jim, causes people to say, wow, 
would you just look at the moon? The moon's done nothing. It's just there. What we're seeing on the moon is sunlight. And you know, just like the moon reflects something of the glory of the sun because of where it is, because of where it's positioned, because of its proximity and relative nearness to the sun, we ourselves can all reflect something. Did you know that we are all great mirrors? You thought about this? We are great mirrors. We're going to reflect to the world whatever it is that has captivated our attention and our hearts. And for sure, the world has plenty of glory to captivate us. But you know, the world's glory, it's a fading glory. Everything around us is going to disappear. You might know that I, I am a fan of the Beatles. I might have mentioned this before. <laughs> I'm a fan of the mighty Leicester City. I was very excited when they won the Premier League. Fading glory. <laughs> In the case of Leicester City, it is literally a fading glory. <laughs> but you know, but fading glory, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whoever the biggest icon is in the world today, no eternal significance. Whatever it is we give our attention to, perhaps on social media, this is the next big thing. Fading glory. It's not going to last. And what a waste, therefore, to have the capacity that God has given us to reflect something or someone as magnificent and eternal as he is. To have that capacity and yet to spend our lives reflecting something small and meaningless and a bit dinky and irrelevant. Something fading. Something worthless. See, Paul suggests that we are created anew to see and reflect who God is. You and I have the capacity to reflect the glory of God. The veil is removed. Our faces can be turned towards him. By our proximity to him, we can announce his name and his renown. Just as the moon is reflecting the glory of the sun because of its proximity to the sun and the earth, so you and I can reflect the glory of God by our proximity to God our Father. By our proximity to him, we can declare his name and renown, his name and fame. And, you know, we can expect to see this more and more, as Paul writes, we are changed into his glorious image. What an amazing promise. Our God is all for us, seeking his name and renown. He wants to help us do that. And, and as we seek to do that, he is going to make us more and more like him. So just as people will say, whoa, did you see the moon? People will be able to say of children of God, whoa, did you see them? Do you see what they're reflecting of God? They're unusually kind. They're unusually compassionate. They've got something about them that's that's different and it makes me want to know what's going on. The glory of God.
reflected in his people. And this is what we want the next few weeks to be about as we walk this way. Knowing that we have seen something of God, the veil has been removed. Because of Jesus, we have proximity to God, our Father. Knowing that we can show something of God, our proximity reflecting his name and his fame. And confident that as we head into another year together, although it's February this week and it's flying by, isn't it? But as we head into 2024 together, that we can have a healthy perspective on our place in his plans. Whatever the year is going to bring up for us this year, we have an eternal perspective because of who we are. You know, we're praying for a season where together we, we look for his wisdom, his wisdom in his word, and to encourage one another as we learn to more closely follow Jesus and the way he intends us to live in his kingdom. Just want to say, I'm counting myself into that. I want to be encouraged by us together. This is a together thing that we're doing. This isn't a one-way ticket whereby I encourage you with the word and clear off again. We're community. We're family. That's what God has called us to. It's where he's placed us. Now, this is a community in which we encourage one another with God's word. We say together, how, how does Jesus want to shape us and disciple us? What wisdom has he got for living a kingdom life? And we go along and we do that as this community together. We believe as we do that, God is going to bless us. We believe that God is going to add to us. We believe that as we are about declaring the name and fame of Jesus to this town, that God is going to give us everything that we need. He's going to give us everything we need in terms of people to serve him. In terms of a suitable base to meet in and from. If we are a people determined to have proximity to him, to say, Lord, the veil has been removed, thank you. Now let me be close to you and reflect your glory to the world around us. So I want to ask a question as we finish. We're going to worship together in just a minute. But I want to just ask a question or two for us to talk to our neighbour about if we're feeling really brave. We're brave, we could do this. And um, just see what is stirring in our heart. We need to make this real in our hands, don't we? So what might it mean for us this year to desire the name and renown of God? His name and his fame. What might it mean for us to increase our desire? Does doing this affect any, any kind of decisions or known changes we've got coming up this year? Have we got something ahead of us that we need to put in the right perspective, the eternal perspective? Have we got a potential change in where we live or, or the job we do or what we're studying for? Do we just need to say, ah, okay, but if I'm living for the name and renown of God, 
how does it affect that decision? And this is, the last one is a personal question. How are we feeling about our proximity? How is your orbit? How are we feeling about our closeness to God? The veil is removed. We can see him face to face. Are we making the most of this amazing free gift that he's given to us and wants to encourage us with? So we're going to take, let's just take two minutes to chat to our neighbours about what it means for us to desire the name and renown of God and any decisions that are coming up this year that we might want to just think about in, in that context. Two minutes and then Sharon. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.